All right, well, good morning. We're so glad you guys are here today. It's a beautiful day. You could be a million places, but you're here with us, and so we appreciate that. Uh, lots of stuff coming on during. There wasn't really an announcement video this day, week. Uh, a lot of stuff coming up. One of the things we are starting uh, tonight, if you are a guy, we do men's pickup basketball games at the Hillview Community Center. Uh, we run that from now until March. It's called the Who's Going to Tear the ACL the Quickest Games. And so uh, we're all getting way too old and we think we're better than we are. But if you want to play with us, uh, we do that. And then also uh, for the guys, and there's stuff later coming up for the ladies too, uh, Wild Game Night on November 17th. Uh, if you can sign up on the app for that. If you're a hunter and want to contribute to that, I know all hunters have like that special thing they make. Uh, you can sign up as well to bring something to contribute, but we're excited about that night to hang out uh, and eat some good food and all that stuff. So lots of stuff, like I said, stuff for kids. I know there's a Friendsgiving coming up. I know there's a women's bunko night coming up, all kinds of stuff. So just make sure and download the app if you haven't and pay attention to the videos as they scroll uh, here at the beginning. So we are in a series on forgiveness. If you're new, uh, we've been talking about the importance of forgiveness, this idea of being people of a second chance, not only uh, the way that we've received a second chance through God and his grace, but also extending that to other people. And so we've been exploring all that. Now, the reality is, is that everything that we've talked about, including what we're going to talk about today, can be incredibly difficult. It can be hard to think about forgiving people that have wronged us and hurt us. And so today we're going to talk about what it looks like, what it doesn't look like, and also talk about where it goes if we choose not to do this. So Jesus uh, was asked one time how he should pray, how we should pray. And so in the middle of his prayer, uh, if you grew up playing football or you grew up Catholic, you know this by heart. I mean, you've memorized it. He does this thing we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And in the very middle of this prayer, um, he makes a note to talk about forgiveness. That in our daily communion with God, that forgiveness is a part of it. It goes and forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And so God forgive us, but also this recognition that we also have an active part in forgiving people that have wronged us. Now, I understand I need the forgiveness of God. That if God exists in the way that we think of them as this holy and perfect God who created us and sustained us and has an ideal for the way that our life should go, I realize that I've messed up at times and I need forgiveness. It's the part about having to forgive other people for the wrongs that they've done to you. And that's a difficult part. In fact, he goes even further in some of the worst Bible verses that exist. He says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, so when you forgive other people, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Which should make some of us really anxious. Because I understand the things that I'm prone to hang, hang on to. The temperament that I'm, I'm willing to have when someone I feel like has wronged me. Some of us hold on to things longer than we probably should. And so, do you really want God's standard of forgiveness to you to be on the same parallel as your ability to forgive other people? Now, the disciples, when they first hear about this, they understand how difficult this is going to be. And in fact, their response to it is, God, increase our faith. Because we're going to need a lot of trust and a lot of faith if we're going to be willing and able to do this. So the idea, and we open with this idea, this grand idea of grace in week one, and we're going to talk about it again as we wrap up the series next week, is essentially the idea is we forgive <clears throat> because we've been forgiven. And there's all kinds of reasons that we should forgive. 
you know, we understand as Christians that we've been forgiven by God who forgave us. We did not earn it. We did not deserve it, but we were forgiven that. The debt that was erased through Jesus on the cross, we understand that. We also under, understand that the, the markings of grace, of not only what God has extended to us, but the markings of grace as we commune with other people is the mark of a Christian. Not to mention, as we've talked about, and we all know this, that when we choose unforgiveness, when we choose ungrace, when we hold on to these things, the reality is we all know you end up carrying those things around. And some of us have been carrying things around for a very, very long time. And those things that we have to carry around, they can be heavy. And in fact, those things, it's not just what happened to us, but the other part of the heaviness of those things is they come with all kinds of feelings, bitterness, anger, pain. Those are all things that we feel when we refuse to hold on to these things. Now, I understand a lot of this. And the reason I understand this is because I've been wronged and I know that when you're wronged, it feels personal. It feels personal when someone's sinned against you, when they've done things against you. It feels personal. And so there's this sense when someone does something, you feel like you lose a little bit of happiness because they've robbed you of your happiness. Maybe it's reputation. Maybe they've said things about you to other people. Maybe it's peace of mind that you know that people can do these things and feel these things and say these things. Maybe it's cost you a relationship that you thought was very valuable to you. Or maybe it was an opportunity. And so when these things happen, we have a couple of choices. We, we can respond in the way that, that it's been handed out to us. For example, if someone hurts your reputation, the temptation is you pay them back by going and now talking about them. You, you pay them back by they've hurt your reputation, so here's what you need to know about this person, and then we just unleash all of these things about this person. You know, and, and so we can do that, and that's a temptation. Or there's the reality of that we can forgive. We can forgive that person. And the problem with forgiveness, as we've established, is that whenever someone hurts you, there's a debt-debtor relationship. It feels like something is to be owed. That's why we say things like, you owe me an apology. That's why we say things like, I have to pay you back. And so you can pay back the person, or you can absorb the debt and be willing to move forward. Forgiveness can be extremely costly. And it can take much blood, sweat, and tears in order to get to that place. Because again, we've been robbed of happiness, reputation, opportunity. And the reality is you cannot put a price tag on those things. And so we all know that we've been wronged, some of us in this room, in ways in which, to be honest with you, and we shouldn't say this, but we will, I'm sorry sometimes feels a little empty, doesn't it? It feels a little bit hollow. And so the temptation is to get back at the person, to actually pay them back. And you can do this in many different ways. You can viciously confront them saying things that you know will hurt them. We all have that ability to cross that line with our words and to say things that we know will hurt and strike that person. We can go around, as we've already said, and tarnish their reputation. We can go around and say things to people like, well, here's what you need to know about this person. And here's what you need to know about that person. You can do passive aggressiveness. Anybody passive aggressive in this room? Don't elbow anybody. You know, you can have that game where you're just passive aggressive about everything. Or what you can do, and this is one of the more toxic ones, is you might actually not do anything to that person. But, but what happens is you kind of set back and you kind of watch their life unfold. And there's this sense that, you know, they hurt you. So when you see things that hurt them or when things don't go their way or when some misfortune comes their way, you kind of set back and you kind of feel a little bit like, mm-hmm. You got what was coming to you. 
Or for some of us, we may just all out enact revenge. We may try to get revenge for what they did to us. All of those responses come with a few problems. One of the problems as we've talked about is that when you do those things, what ends up happening in your heart and in your mind is you may actually become a little bit harder and a little bit colder. The other thing is these things start to spread in your life if you hold on to them and you allow them to penetrate your heart and your mind and the character of the person that you're becoming. The other problem is very often when we feel these pains of bitterness and rage and anger because someone's hurt us, the reality is they don't stay isolated to the person that hurt us. They end up spreading out into other relationships, into other situations, and it ends up pouring out on other people. And the reality is that all of us know these cycles of retaliation and revenge and vengeance and all of these things that come with ungrace and unforgiveness, they can go on for years. Patterns of cycles over and over again. And no one's saying, definitely not me, that evil has not been done to you. It has. And they shouldn't have done what they did. But when we try to get this kind of debt erased through, through payback, the reality is it doesn't just disappear. It usually spreads. It spreads to other areas of your life, to other people, and most tragically into all into your own heart and maybe even your own character. So there's this story in the Bible that kind of gives us this extreme example of where this can go when we're unwilling to do this, to actually take the time to think about what happened to us, to process it, and to figure out a way to move forward. And in this story, it takes place all the way back in Judges chapter 15. It's an old story. A story about a guy named Samson. Now, you may know some about Samson, but there's parts of his story that you start to read it, you're like, what in the world was going on? So in this story, we have to understand about Samson is Samson is a judge. It takes place in the book of Judges. The judges were these people that were kind of appointed to help lead the, the, the nation of Israel, to lead Judah, to lead the Israelites. And they're appointed sometimes by God, sometimes by other people. But these are supposed to be people of sound judgment that help the people move forward, also to kind of protect the people. So keep that in mind and keep in mind as we read this story that Samson is the good guy, okay? So in Judges chapter 15, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to his wife taking a young goat with him. Men, pay attention, all right? Valentine's Day, I expect a lot of goat orders, okay? And so he's going to show his affection to his wife. So of course, he's taking a goat, right? And so he said, as he gets there, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. He said to Samson, I thought you really hated your wife, so I gave her to your best man. What? And so he goes to visit his wife, and there's a little backstory you can read in Judges chapter 14. So his, the father-in-law, he thinks that there's this misunderstanding. He doesn't think Samson even likes his wife, so he just gives her away to somebody else, like you do. And her younger sister, by the way, is more beautiful, so take her instead. Now, sometimes the reason you should read the Bible is because there's moments you're like, what just happened? All right, what is actually going on? Now, in this story, we can understand that Samson apparently did love his wife. He took the goat. I mean, I don't know how much more you can express your love. And so he takes the goat. He goes to visit her. He finds himself in this situation where a wrong has been done to him. So it's expected. There's, nobody's not saying something wrong happened to Samson. Okay, this should not have happened. It's a bad situation. And so what are you going to do with this? Okay. So Samson, in verse 3, but Samson said to them, this time no one will blame me for hurting you Philistines. 
okay? And we're about to see what he means by this. Now, a couple of details you need to know about the Samson story. Samson is, again, is an Israelite. He's a judge in this area. He's been appointed to this. The Philistines are their national and religious enemies. Like, these are their enemies. These are the people that they do not like. And there's a long-standing feud that will not only take place in this part of the story, but will continue all the way into the time of David between these two groups of people. So this is not a new thing. The other thing that you have to understand, anytime we talk about Samson, if you read his story, we are diving into the adventures of testosterone, okay? So he is going to let things accelerate a little bit. He's a guy, okay? He's a man's man. And the other thing that they're saying, and in this day and age, it was believed that if someone wronged you, even though they said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it was believed and often practiced that if someone wronged you, that it was okay to do whatever you thought necessary in order to enact revenge on them and get your payback, no matter how brutal or violent it might be. Aren't we glad that was just the way people saw the world back then? And apparently, this isn't the first confrontation with these two groups of people. It's gotten a little out of hand. That's why Samson says, this time, no one can blame me because apparently there's been some things and you can read those in the previous chapters that happened before. And so you have these two sworn enemies that do not like each other. And so it doesn't take much gas to add before you have an explosion. So Samson's been wronged. So what's he gonna do? So Samson, verse four, went out and caught 300 foxes. He took two foxes at a time, tied their tails together, and then tied a torch to the tails of each pair of foxes. After he lit the torches, he let the foxes loose in the grain fields of the Philistines, so they burned up their standing grain, the piles of grain, their vineyards, and their olive trees like you do. Okay? And so just so you guys know, if you do something wrong to me, I've got two foxes in the back of my truck. I'm ready to burn it all down. Okay? So I've taken the Samson model. All right? So Samson, okay, was wronged. Can we all agree this just escalated? Because now, and again, he's the good guy. I know he's the Bible character. He has now done this to this entire group of Philistines. This is now going to affect a lot of people the way in which he's chosen to get revenge, to get his payback. So the Philistines, after all this happens in their entire vineyard and their grain and their olives, which is their livelihood, their way of providing for themselves, their way of feeding themselves, has been wiped out. The Philistines, of course, asked, verse 6, who did this? Someone told them Samson, the son-in-law of the man from Tim that did this because his father-in-law gave his wife to his best friend. So the Philistines burned Samson's wife and her father to death. Well, that escalated, didn't it? It escalated pretty quickly because that's what happens sometimes, right? You did this to me, I'm going to do this to you. And you're going to do this to me. So then in verse 7, then Samson said to the Philistines, since you did this, I won't stop until I pay you back. And there's the words, until I pay you back for what you've done to me. Now, does Samson really seem like the guy who has the right there to stand there and say, since you did this? Do you remember the foxes? Do you remember all the people that were affected by this? And so he feels like he has to get payback. Which, by the way, let me ask you a couple questions. How do you know when you've gotten enough revenge? How do you actually know that you've actually paid the person back 
appropriately when it comes to this model of the way we respond to each other. Like, is there a moment where you're getting revenge and you're kind of going back and forth and all of a sudden the peace of God just fills your heart and you're like, you know what? I feel like we've, we've done enough. Or is there a moment in the cauldron of emotions of envy and revenge and hatred and all of these things where all of a sudden there's like this light breeze deep in your soul and all of a sudden you go, you know what? We've reached our limit. I mean, is that how it works? Like, is, is there a limit that we go, okay, this is, this is good. When it comes to that, I mean, how do you actually know that you've gotten enough revenge and that we're good now? Or the other side of this is the question that I love. Um, if someone's wronged you, and I've been wronged, you've been wronged, I've maybe wronged some of you, I get it, it's part of life. If someone wrongs you, is there actually anything that they could actually do to pay you back? Have you ever thought about that? Like someone's wronged me, and so let's imagine I get you and this person in this room together, you're facing each other. Be honest, is there actually anything they could say or do that in your mind and heart would actually make it okay? And maybe there is, but I would argue a lot of times there's nothing. And so you can just continue to let that cauldron of emotions burn deep inside of you, or you have to do something else. So Samson, he's, he's got to pay these people back because that's his mindset. So Samson attacked the Philistines and killed many of them. Then he went down and stayed in the cave of the rock of Edom. The Philistines went up and camped in the land of Judah near a place named Lehi. The men of Judah asked, why have you come here to fight us? So notice how this narrative changed. It started with Samson. And yes, he attacked some Philistines and all of this. So now all of a sudden there's this army of Philistines that are moving into Judah, to moving into these people. And these people are saying, why have you come here to fight us? Translation, why are we even involved in this? And it happens all the time where situations grow and more people get involved and more people get involved. And now all of a sudden you have these, these men of Judah, they're looking at this, they're about to be attacked by the Philistines, and maybe you found yourself, you're in, you, these two groups of people or these two people are in the middle of this conflict, and all of a sudden you're in the middle of it and you're like, how did we even get here? Like what actually just happened? And so they answer, we have come to make Samson our prisoner, ready? Here's the language, to pay him back for what he did to our people. Then 3,000 men, remember, this story started with a man, a father-in-law, and a goat. And now there's 3,000 men involved. Went to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, what have you done to us? Don't you know that the Philistines rule over us? And Samson answered, and here it is, I only paid them back for what they did to me. Then they said to him, we have to come tie you up and to hand you over to the Philistines. Now, here's what's happened in this story. Samson has become so blind to his wanting to get revenge, he doesn't realize all of the other people that are now affected. And so his people, his people, his people that, that had his back probably before all this took place, now all of a sudden they're starting to turn on him because now the pain that he experienced is now being brought into their lives. 
The pain and vengeance associated with all of this is running so deep that even the people that were once on his side are now affected for it. And so they're going to Samson to take him, their leader, their judge, their boy, to take him and to hand him over because this thing has just gotten out of hand. And so the Bible tells us that they, they take him and, and, and Samson makes them promise, hey, promise me you're not going to hurt me yourselves. Take me to the Philistines. So they, they tie him up. They take him to the Philistines. Now, if you know the story of Samson, Samson has been gifted this ability by God to kind of have these moments where he calls upon the strength of the Lord and he kind of becomes like the Hulk, you know, and so he can do these amazing things. So in this story, they tie him up, they take him to the Philistines, and when they approach the Philistines, he has one of these moments where he just kind of, he, he gets strong and he is able to break the strings and they fall off of his hands. And so Samson, as they approach the Philistines, his hands are now free, he picks up the, 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 the uh, jawbone of a dead donkey. Now, I do have a donkey skull, I don't have a jawbone, so this is the jawbone of a sheep. Don't ask me about why I have so many skulls. And so, uh, so I have this. And so this is the remind. He takes this and in verse 15. Samson found the jawbone of a dead donkey, took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I made donkeys out of them. It's much more colorful in the King James Version. With a donkey's jawbone, some of you get that later. With a donkey's jawbone, I killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone because now maybe he's gotten enough revenge that it can be done just so you guys know we're not going to get to the end of the story it wasn't enough and it keeps going back and forth and back and forth there's this game that i started playing recently uh, I don't know if you guys have ever played this. I've kind of gotten addicted to it. It's the game of pickleball. And uh, so pickleball is like if tennis and uh, ping pong had a baby. And so uh, in pickleball, like in any racket sport, ping pong, tennis, whatever, you might play badminton. Um, so what happens in, in a game like this is that you start playing. And so one player hits the ball and then the other person hits it back. And then they hit it back and then you hit it back. And there becomes like this volleying process where you're just hitting the ball from one side to, to the other. And then eventually somebody will hit a shot and there will be like a winner and that person will win the point, right? And, and so that makes sense when we're volleying back in a game. But when we're volleying back when it comes to revenge in the game of life, how do we know that someone just won? I mean, there's the way that we know that somebody won this game of revenge is that somebody's life is just being held together by shreds. Do, do we know that the game is over when you've decimated somebody to the point that they can't even retaliate? I, I mean, do we win because you finally did that thing, you crossed that line, you said that thing, and to be honest with you, they just can't even come back? I mean, how do you know that you won that volleying game of back and forth, because this is what's happening in this story with Samson, it's just going back and forth and back and forth. And here's the thing, it always escalates. It always escalates. And then eventually what happens is other people are brought in, right? That's what happens. And all of a sudden now all of these other people are involved in this situation. And it's all because, and listen, again, we're not saying nothing happened to Samson. Like that was pretty awful what happened. But, but all of a sudden now there's all this rage of emo, range of emotions and rage and anger and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it keeps escalating. 
maybe it's like this. I, I don't know if you realize this about some of us in this room, but some of us in this room, we, we have these problems. We carry these things around with us, as we've said. And, and have you ever been like talking to somebody and, and like maybe there's been a pattern of like they're short with you or there's this anger or there's this distance between you and, and you sit there and you're trying to figure it all out. And after a while, you start to realize, you know what? I don't think this has anything to do with me. I think what's going on is they've been carrying around all of these things and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And so the problem is, what do we do with all that? Now, the, the big understanding of forgiveness is that in some ways there's this debt-debtor relationship. And if I forgive a person, if I'm willing to kind of put the jawbone down and, and stop making this escalate and stop volleying it back and forth, the problem is there's this feeling like, you know what, did I just let them win? Or there's this feeling of like, you know what, they don't deserve it. And, and, and you might be right. Maybe they don't deserve the forgiveness that you're going to offer. But, but that's why we had to establish this understanding of God's grace in our life in week one, because the reality is neither did you and neither did I. We didn't deserve it either, but it was what was given to us. The debt was absorbed. And the other thing is that we have to understand is that forgiveness leads to freedom. You know, maybe they don't deserve for this to be over, whatever you might feel, um, but you do. Because you just keep carrying this stuff around. And not only is it hurting you and is it dictating you and the choices you make and how you see people and interact with people, the reality is it never stays isolated, as we said. Maybe it's spread into some other areas. So someone's wronged you, so we have to forgive. Now, what I want to do is I want to set up some guidelines before we kind of get into what you actually need to do. Because see, here's the thing. The reason that a lot of us don't want to forgive sometimes is because we feel like we're letting somebody get away with something. And so here's what I want to do is set up some guidelines of what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not condoning their behavior. Forgiveness is not saying that what they did really wasn't a big deal or even that it was okay. That, that's not what it is. This is a separate issue, forgiving someone and condoning what they've done. Two separate things. You don't have to act as though it wasn't a big deal. It might have been a really big deal. And they might have actually hurt you. And there might actually be a wound in your heart and in your mind. You do not have to condone what they did in order to forgive somebody. There was a wrong that took place. These are separate issues. The next one is, you know, there's this belief that like if you forgive, you have to forget. You forgive and you forget. But, but here's the thing. Um, for some of us, when it comes to forgiving, if we're going to be able to move forward, Part of it is we can't forget what they did. And here's why I say that. Because some people are so dangerous and toxic and divisive and abusive. The Bible gives this idea. It's one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. It says, like a dog returns to its vomit. Some people are just going to keep doing the same things over and over again. And so part of this is, yeah, you have to forgive them. You don't, have, you don't pay them back anymore, but you have to forget, forget or remember what they did because you have to be able to set up appropriate boundaries so they aren't allowed to harm you like that again. You don't have to forget what they did. You do need to move forward, but sometimes you need to remember because there's appropriate boundaries that need to be set in place with this person or these groups of people because they have a pattern of doing this. 
Now, obviously, in the most whole and healthy sorts of relationships, there is eventually a point where we realize it was a misunderstanding or one side took it too far, or maybe we even took it too far. And eventually, over time, you're willing to move forward and not only forgive, but actually in some ways kind of forget that that happened and move forward in the relationship. That is what our goal is. But here's the thing. There are some people in some situations that the wisest thing you can do is set up good counsel and discernment and strong boundaries with that person so that you don't keep putting yourself or that person in the same position, okay? The next one is this. Um, When it comes to forgiving and forgetting and moving forward, um, the other thing is reconciliation. Listen, this might have been going on for 20 years. It's not gonna be better by Tuesday, Now, the ultimate goal in healthy relationships is that we eventually find a place where we're able to move forward. We're able to actually leave this behind. Our relationship can continue. But in some instances, here's what you have to know. The relationship will never look the same. We can have a relationship, but it's going to be different. Because what happened, okay, was predicated on this relationship we had before and we can't go back there. See, sometimes what happens when someone wrongs you, and you know this, is trust has been broken. And when trust has been broken, it feels like a death. And it takes time in order to be able to reestablish that trust again. And so forgiveness and reconciliation, two separate things. Let me be honest. The goal is we eventually move to a place where we can reconcile, but it might take some time. And then the big one for a lot of us that we have to just understand is that forgiveness doesn't mean there's not a lack of justice and consequences. Some people have done things and wronged us in some ways where there are serious consequences for what they've done. You can forgive someone and still get a restraining order. You can. You can forgive someone and there still may be legal ramifications for what they did. Okay? You can forgive someone and the relationship might still need to end where we can't be around each other anymore. And so forgiveness is a process and it can be hard, but see, if all we do accomplish today is that you put on hold planning ways to torture someone tomorrow, right? Or put on ways in which you're fantasizing less about their demise, or you can just let the foxes go. They don't need to be brought into this anymore, okay? If you can just do that, then maybe we had some good steps. Because here's the biggest thing about forgiveness that you have to understand that it took me a long time to learn. See, forgiveness is this process in which we think that we're actually letting someone else free when in reality we're letting ourselves free. We're letting ourselves free. So you can hold on to it with all your, your emotional and mental state, but come on, does it really work? Does getting revenge really ever work? Does trying to make them pay back the debt ever really work? And so how do we actually start to move forward with forgiveness? Well, Jesus gives us this model that's super brilliant. I mean, it's a long time ago and it might actually work. So Jesus, what he says in Matthew chapter 18, that if it's possible, and I realize for some of you, like we just said, because of what happened, it may not be possible to go to this person. But, but here's what I'm saying. Jesus said in Matthew 18, what you should do is if someone's wronged you, you actually go to that person. That's novel, isn't it? To actually go to the person and to actually name what it is that happened to you. See, what some of us do is we, we never go to that person and the thing that happened to us, we don't actually name what it was. So we end up kind of vilifying that person sometimes or we end up making this thing actually bigger than what it really was. And so what sometimes you have to do is be very specific and you say, this is what happened between me and them. 
This is what they did. This is how it made me feel. And you go to them and you talk about it. Not on social media, not via text messages, but if possible, you actually look at them in the eye and you talk about it and you say, it stops here. What you did hurt me. What you did affected me, but it stops here. We're gonna stop volleying this back and forth. We're gonna stop hitting this back and forth. We're gonna stop this. The pain stops today. Best case scenario, you're able to move forward. The debt is canceled. No further payback is necessary. But what happens when people are people and it doesn't happen the way that we hoped? Tim Keller in his book, Reason for God, says this. There is another option, however. You can forgive. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone you want to do so with all your being is agony. It is a form of suffering. You not only suffered to the original loss of happiness, reputation, opportunity, but now you forgo the consolation of inflicting the same on them. And here's the key. This goes back to week one. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person, and it hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Yes, but it is a death that leads to resurrection instead of a lifelong death, living death of bitterness and cynicism. You absorb the debt. Now again, the only way that Tim Keller can feel comfortable saying that and I can feel comfortable saying that's what we have to do is because that's exactly what Jesus did himself. Listen, our example is not Samson. Our example is Jesus. Our example of who we are trying to become like and be like. He absorbed the debt, our debt. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter. He says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. And here is the big word for some of us when it comes to our wanting to exact revenge. It's because we think we can handle it better than God ever could don't we? That we can get back at this person. We can do this. Do you believe that God can handle justice better than you can? Now, the other side of that is this. So in the last two minutes, I've used the word suffering five times. Here's what I know about every single one of you in this room, me included. We don't like to suffer. And so the idea of suffering is something we're like, nope, not doing it, not absorbing it. That just sounds awful. Except for, again, our example is Jesus. And on the cross, as we established in week one, when a human being is ex experiencing the worst suffering imaginable, not only physically, but mentally and spiritually, what does Jesus say? Jesus says on that cross, he says, Father, forgive them. Those who are causing this forgive them. The cross of Jesus. Palmer, Parkey, Palmer Parker says this, the cross says the pain stops here. The cross absorbs the pain. That's what it does. When Jesus accepted the cross, his death opened up a channel for the redeeming power of love. The cross says the pain stops here. The cross is what opens us up to the door of the redeeming power of love. The cross is what opens us up to the grace of God. The cross is what opens us up to the idea of forgiveness. And forgiveness says because of the cross, the pain stops here. I will not carry this one day forward. I will not allow what happened to me and what you did to me to define me 
to control me anymore. The pain stops here. The pain that I've experienced, the pain that you've caused, or maybe vice versa, the pain that you've caused and they experienced, it stops here. And there is a freedom that comes with that. Because you remember, it's like a death, he said. But see, what do Christians believe about death? Death is what leads to life. It's what leads to resurrection. It's what leads to new life and new possibilities and new hope. Forgiving is all about setting someone free and then finding out that it was you who being freed the entire time. And so for some of you, here's what you have to do. You have to stop trying to get revenge and paying people back. You have to put the jawbone down because it doesn't work. And the next step, most important step is to actually choose to forgive. And you're not choosing to forgive someone because you feel like they deserve it or if that's hard, you may not be even forgiving people who don't want it. And that's even harder. You're forgiving because you have been given the power to forgive. As we established a few weeks ago, it's an act of power. It's a step of taking control back over your life. And then here's the amazing thing about when you actually do that. Do you know the amazing thing about forgiveness that it's taken 42 years for me to actually believe is that it has the ability to restore things, lives and marriages and friendships. It can change things. Forgiveness has the power to change things, things that you never thought could or would change, including your own heart and the situation you find yourself in. And so Jesus has asked how we should pray. How do we commune with God? How do we interact with God daily? And in the middle of it, he says, if we're going to be the type of people that we're supposed to be and to have the relationship with God, but each other that we're supposed to have, he says this, and forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus understood the power of forgiveness. He understood the ways in which it can change you and me. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. God, and I know that the idea of forgiveness is difficult for a lot of us because of all the things, and we can all come up here and tell our story, God, and it's hard. Life is hard. But God, we also know that we hold on to a lot of things we weren't meant to carry and hold on to. And so God, forgiveness is not only setting the other person free, but also setting ourselves free to stop carrying those things. God, we understand that the cross that you were on It absorbs the pain, not only the pain that we've experienced because of our shortcomings and our sin, but it also absorbs the pain of the hurt that's caused, God. God, some of us, this is really difficult to think about and process because we gotta let some things go. So God, that's gonna require a lot of wisdom, a lot of strength, and a lot of peace. The word says that surpasses all understanding that you can give. And so God, give us that wisdom, give us that strength, give us that peace. God, give us that freedom to forgive, to choose to forgive, the active power of letting things go and not letting things dictate and control us one day further. God, we love you. We love the truth that you bring, the grace that you give, the mercy that you give into our lives. And now may we be people of a second chance that extend that to others. We pray all these things in your son's name.